This is the Grounded Awakenings Podcast. Conversations connecting science and intuition. Real life lessons from real people. Real professionals who have had experiences that help them awaken to the truth of what they need and what is needed to thrive in their profession. These conversations help us evolve and awaken to what we need to be grounded yet spiritually awakened in life, in parenting, in education, in healthcare, and in the way we interact with the world around us. We hope by helping people connect with their mind, body, and spirit one conscious conversation at a time, there will be a ripple change. Now your host, Jennifer Rentolo, an integrative bridge to health, hope, and healing. Welcome to The Grounded Awakening. I am your host, Jennifer Rentolo, and I'm really excited to have my guest come and share. We're going to talk about what it means to have an examined life and how you can use your own inner knowing to navigate through your challenges. I am excited to welcome three-time cancer dancer, the Reverend Corby Mitlide, I want to make sure I got that name right, Mitlide, Corby Mitlide. She is going to join us, and I love how she says, I'm not a cancer survivor, I'm a cancer dancer, which is just talks about the mindset, which is a big part of what we're going to talk about today, which is the mind and its role in our health and our well-being. Um, Corby has always been the different one a writer and visionary in a completely medical family. Her father's a doctor, mother's a nurse, brother's a doctor. She's always made her own path rather than take one cut for her by others. Leaving an Ivy League university after two years, Corby struck out to find where joy and purpose lived, regardless of what she was told she ought to do. I love that. The path wasn't easy. Two marriages, which didn't last, a constant search for the partner who understood a succession of jobs, a series of spiritual paths, moving from Cambridge to Philadelphia to Poughkeepsie to New York um, to Atlanta, out of the blue, breast cancer. Not once, but three times. Life became a roller coaster with no breaks, asking Corby to survive divorce, abuse, poverty, life-threatening illness. But through all of this, she learned the value of the examined life, which she's going to talk to us about today meeting challenges, and always asking the next question, facing each new situation with strength, courage, and humor. Today, Corby brings a full toolbox to her job as a beacon of manifestations and visions for her clients. She knows what it is to create a career out of experiences. While she's now a full-time intuitive counselor and inspirational speaker, her career has encompassed positions as a published author, a professional actress, a television producer, a radio personality, an executive recruiter, and the power behind the throne for a number of high-profile CEOs. Corby's career now spans the globe with clients worldwide. Her talents as an intuitive are featured in best-selling books. Her clients treasure her attitude of, I'm not special, you can do what I do. I love that. We have opportunities we can go after and challenges to get past. She says firmly, my job is to give you the tools and courage to deal with both situations. Everything else is free will and it's up to you. Corby lives in upstate New York with her husband, Carl, a professional historian, two large and exuberant (laughs) Maine Coon cats. She showed me one. 
uh, and a ginger pocket rocket of a rescue boy from the Bronx. Welcome to the podcast, Corby. It's great to be here, Jen. Thanks for asking. I love everything you talk about here. It so resonates with me, my own path, and all that I've been through. I am a firm believer in um, the power of the mind and the power of hope and resiliency to navigate through any challenge. Um, tell me a little bit about your story. I would love to hear more about kind of where you were, where your awakening happened, and now what that awakening was. Well, that's kind of the combination of what I call my two elevator speeches, one for self-help, <laughs> one for WikiWoo. Um, <clears throat> when I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes, and I went, cool, there's magic in the world. I want to go find it. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school. And yes, that tells you how old I am. Um, I was working part-time at Spencer Gifts. They had the James Bond 007 tarot deck. And I bought it because we were all hippies then. So James for 20 Bond 007 deck? Remember Live and Let Die? With yes, James but I don't remember the tarot deck. <laughs> yes, there is a tarot deck. It's now Tarot of the Witches. They, of course, renamed it. But yep, it had Roger Moore and the guy, the whole thing. Anyway. Wow. Yes. So for 20 years, I read for friends. All of a sudden, in the early 90s, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when I hung out my shingle part-time, started doing this work full-time right after 9-11 because I knew other people would need answers. Now, what about the rest? <clears throat> I've always been a writer. I've always looked beyond the usual dimensions. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, my family was highly dysfunctional. My mother was an alcoholic cross-addicted with barbiturates, uh, a lot of emotional abuse about what I looked like. And I was also, from the time I was 11, I had a Dolly Parton figure, literally. 44 triple D, little waist and hips. That's hard to deal with. So for years, I got the message that all I was worth was between the neck and the waist. Mm -hmm. And I did not know I had permission to say no, and that I wasn't the whore and the prostitute, I was told. I, I really was at heart. So that's where all of the rough stuff came in. I was acting in New York in 1989 when breast cancer, out of the blue, doesn't run in my family, don't smoke. But it was four lumpectomies and radiation. Um, the radiation was at Sloan Kettering when I was at New York, taking acting lessons, acting off Broadway and doing a 60 hour a week job. But I managed. Um, 2000, I get totally out of there, up to the Hudson Valley doing something different. Skin cancer based from the radiation. So again, they were still there, scarred, misshapen, but I had them. Finally found the right guy in 2002, married him, great. 2004, I got my second primary. Turned the danger clock back to zero, but the doctor who had the personality of a desiccated turnip said, well, you got cancer both sides. We're going to take him in three weeks. Here's the name of a plastic surgeon. No, I'm sorry. No chance for questions. He was in and out of the room for five minutes. Mm. Luckily, the plastic surgeon was magnificent, but she's, you know, she's over there. This different story. So how did I handle it? Because I had a lot of questions. What would I look like? What would I be worth? Would my husband even stay? Yeah. So for 24 hours, I went home and cried normal but I knew the examined life said this is going to happen you got to find the lesson then you got me how do I teach with and then go on so I knew 
that the best thing to do would be find at least three reasons to be okay with it, no matter how stupid they sounded. So the first thing was, okay, you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. Number two, top half is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year. And every woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> three, implants. I'll be perky till I'm 93. This is cool. So when they wheeled me into the OR and I was hopped up on the pre-op drugs of fentanyl and Versed, which really is a, it's a great cocktail. It sends you out to the corner of left field and space cadet. I apparently, I looked at the two surgeons and I said to the turnip guy, you got three hours for the demolition work and my plastic surgeon, you got three hours for the front end alignment. I want to be out in six. <laughs> so double mastectomy and reconstruction. Yes, it was a six hour surgery out of Mass General in three days, shopped for a bathing suit in five, still had the Jackson Pratt drains, you know, for that. Uh, my plastic surgeon thought I was hilarious because I named them. Harpo, Chico, Groucho, and Zeppo. And how are you today? Well, everybody's fine, but Groucho is complaining. But you knew which one that was. Right. Um, humor got mm -hmm. me through a lot. Humor, you know, one of the things that I tell people is you've got to be a co-conspirator. You can't be a patient. Yes. What's that mean? Patients are sheeple. They don't ask questions. They just listen to what the doctors say. If there are problems, they just say, oh, well, I'm the patient. I have to suck it up. No, you don't. Mm. Um, uh, I had two pretty ser serious staph infections Ugh. later on from the surgeries. And so I was back in the hospital. And one of the things that you had to have was a belly shot of heparin, which hurts. Um and so I said, how can I avoid that? And we made a deal, um, get up and walk every hour and a half, every two hours. I knew that the antibiotic I was taking for this, you're not supposed to take it within two hours of calcium. So they would bring me in my breakfast of yogurt or cereal and milk and the pill. And mm -hmm. I would say, I'm not taking it. And the nurse would start to argue. And I said, it says in the PDR, physician's desk reference, that this antibiotic does not work with calcium. I will take it in two hours. And I had to speak to my you know, plastic surgeon who was overseeing all of this about it. Because if I hadn't known what I was taking, done my research, how much longer would that infection have happened? Mm. So that's one of the other things about the examined life. You have to partake in what is going on. You can't just bury your head under the pillow and go la la la. Okay. Absolutely. Everything you're saying is resonating so much with me, both as a nurse, because I was mm -hmm. on that end I mm -hmm. actually worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering in the special care ICU. Did you? Um, okay. I did. Yeah. I, my first job was at New York Presbyterian. Um, I was that nurse. I, like you, had gifts when I was a kid and was kind of told, oh, that's cute, but stop it. You're just trying to get attention. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really, I learned to ground myself in that science, the pragmatics, even knowing I had these gifts, but some of some of the, th the, the intuition really helped me be a better practitioner, to be honest with you, but I didn't really understand that until I had my own awakening when my second son had a massive neonatal stroke at birth, and then a few years later when my third son had leukemia. And I remember everything you're saying. That was my awakening as far as 
what's the message in all of this? There's mm -hmm. a message in this. What am I meant to learn? The hope and the being a partaker, to your point, asking questions. They wanted to give my son, who had leukemia, cranial radiation because of one lab result. And I remember saying to them, whoa, 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 this, I don't think this is right. Can you recheck that? Because cranial radiation is a big deal. So yes, anyway, everything you're saying, I couldn't agree more 100%. Um, and, you know, sadly, a lot of people that come to me are people that are frustrated with the healthcare system. That was part of the message for me is all the gaps in healthcare and where mm -hmm. we need to bridge those gaps. And that's why I do what I do now. And I help mm -hmm. people like you do. Um, but mine is coming from that medical place and that awareness of, of medicine. So on behalf of, we're not shaming any practitioners, everybody does the best they can with what they know, but absolutely, I love what you say about the examined life. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about how you came to that. Like what, what was the aha moment? Because I know that wasn't the end, sadly, of your journey with cancer. Well, the reason that I knew to do that was a place that I started working with in the early 80s. It is just about to the end of its cycle because both of the founders are 80. Mm. So they only do things online. But it was a place called the Option Institute in Massachusetts. Mm. And they teach stimulus belief response. The mm. idea is... There are three important questions to ask yourself in any situation. First, what am I X about? And X is your emotion. Mm. Unhappy, frightened, angry, depressed. Why am I X about that? And the one question that we never ask ourselves, what do I think would happen if I stopped being mm. X about that? Ooh, okay. good one. Um, you can even use this with a kid. Little Joshy comes home and he's stomping around. I hate school. Okay. What are you angry about, Joshy? She gave me double homework tonight. Okay. Why are you upset about that? Why are you angry about that, Joshy? Because I might not be able to go out and play and I wanted to. Now, notice the mother is not at any point saying, denigrating him for being angry or dismissing it. She is being in the present moment with him, with his anger, allowing him his feelings. Mm -hmm. But then she looks at him and she says, Joshy, what do you think would happen if you stopped being angry about that? I don't know. If you had to guess. Now, I don't know. Joshy maybe knew or didn't, but a lot of adults use it like, get out of my face. Mm -hmm. I don't want to look. I don't want to be Avoidance. wrong. Right. It's Avoidance. When you say, if you had to guess, that takes everything off and you'll get the real answer. Mm. So when mama said, if you had to guess, Josh, she said, maybe I'd get it done and then maybe I could go out and play a little. Okay, Joshy, how's that make you feel? Better. So you want to try that? Okay. <laughs> now, what Joshy just got taught at seven, you were allowed to have your feelings. You can change your feelings if you want to. And when you ask yourself the right questions, you get the answers that you need in order to change. Now, Joshy can't process that. That's the adult version. Yeah. But it'll get in. And it became to the point 
where even Josh, as he became a teenager, knew to ask himself those questions. Mm. Right. So that's where we have to go. We have to ask ourselves. And we're allowed to be scared. Yeah. We're allowed to be upset, angry. But number one, you aren't bad. Don't let anybody tell you that this is bad karma. Yeah. Guys, that's horse hockey. Okay. (laughs) Karma is not carrot and stick. That's the kindergarten version. Mm. Karma is five things. Unbalanced energy, which is a neutral. Healing, service, contrast, and healing of beliefs. I did not do the cancer dance because I was a bad person. I did it because my understanding is in my pre-birth planning session, I needed to learn that women were more than their bodies. Yes. And because I accepted for so many decades the fact, yes, I'm only a prostitute, I'm a whore, I'm worth nothing, and this defines me. Mm. When spirit said, look, we need you down there, you're going to be a teacher. That's why it was a second primary, but they're gone. They also took my ovaries, turning me from this Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects. Everything I understood about myself was taken away. Yes. Also, the first two husbands I had been with, I doubt they would have stayed. This one said, am I going to miss them? Yeah, they were gorgeous, but I married you, not them. And this year is our 20th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. So it was a hard lesson. Yeah. But it was very useful. And I am a walking, talking example of what happens when you're a co-conspirator, not a patient, not a sheeple. Yeah. And you don't get stuck in your story. This is one of the most important things for all of you who are doing the cancer dance or autoimmune, whatever. Don't get stuck in your story. There are women who had cancer at the same time I did and they beat it. And they say, hi, my name is Susan and I had cancer. You're not an alcoholic. Yeah. It's not, you know, that's like my saying, hi, I was the Betty Crocker homemaker of tomorrow for New Jersey in 1973. Every time you met me, it was true, Mm. but I'm 67 now. I'm not 18. That's not who I am. It's only one of the ingredients. You know, it's interesting because I had a dear friend of mine um, say to me, because a lot, it's it's easy to get stuck in your story. It's easy yes. to use your story and is your and your experience to identify you as somebody different to yes. help people understand and maybe even. I mean, I'm going to be honest. There are times where I would say I, I called it dropping the L bomb. My son has cancer. My son has leukemia, as a way for people to kind of give me a break. But mm-hmm. I realized, especially when I was in a room where there were a lot of people that had similar, everybody's got a story. Everybody's mm-hmm. got something. And how we perceive it and how we move through it is really what, what determines our health and well-being and how we wind up mm-hmm. on the other side. But as my friend said to me, this is a story and it is giving you the experience to do the work, which is what you came on this earth to do. And in order Mm -hmm. to do that work, and in order to, you came to be a teacher, I came to be a teacher and a healer. Um, The, the, what these experiences I had to go through, you had to go through Mm -hmm. to get the wisdom to then be able to share it with others. I remember my son who was really good at math and I'd say, hey, could you, why don't you help your friends? with this math. And he said, mom, unless I've struggled with it, 
I can't really help them because I don't know how to help them because it comes easily to me. I feel mm-hmm. like what makes people like you, people like me, able to do such a good job at what we do, especially connecting with people and helping teach people, is because we've been through it. We know what that feels like to mm-hmm. be in darkness looking for the light. So my question to you is, have you was there ever a moment where you felt, why me? Why is this happening to me? I'm I you're getting a little dead air here because I'm really going back and thinking. Oh, there would, you know, short periods of 20 minutes, a half an hour, I'd have a pity party. Mm. Yes. Um, and I ask that because there are plenty of people out there listening to your story, maybe even hearing bits of my story and saying, okay, come on. Like you can't laugh and, and, and joke your way through it. And, you know, sometimes that's a cover. Like I look at Robin Williams and his laughter and everything was hiding this Mm -hmm. pain. Yeah. No, you're getting exactly, you're getting exactly what I, what I am. Yeah. Um, but one of my other philosophies is the universe is a short order cook with no imagination. So order right the first time. If you're constantly thinking I had cancer, the universe here is constantly thinking about cancer ordering. Yes. Yes. And you hear the stories about it. The commercials hit you. I mean, in this house, commercials about cancer, we turn them off. We mute them. We change the channel. I will not let that back because Unfortunately, in the United States, big pharma loves to scare you. Yes. The, the, the big commercial that I remember is the one that says, you've never had a heart attack, but one's lurking. And it shows the gurney of death following you and getting stuck in the revolving door. Yes. Yes. In other words, I don't care how good you're feeling. Don't trust it because you're going to get God and then you're going to need us. Yeah. No. Do we get out of here in one piece? No, everybody has an expiration date. Do I like thinking about mine? No, I love being alive. And 67 is too close to that expiration date for me. Yeah. You know, I hold on to the fact that a gypsy on the Ventnor boardwalk when I was 11 said I could live until I was 89. And instead of I'm going to live until I'm 89, the what I've said for years is at 89, I will renegotiate my contract should yes. I choose to stay. Oh, beautiful. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Okay. And. You know, the the amazing thing that I am getting from just talking to you and from what you're saying, sometimes we, negative words, negative thoughts, negative emotions, sometimes we attach to them and they weigh us down like an anchor. Instead, you talk about feel those emotions, notice those emotions. That's the self-compassion. Don't judge mm-hmm. them. You're not bad for having them. You're not bad for having this experience. But kind of almost, and this is a mindfulness technique, is remove yourself and observe what's going on Mm -hmm. without attaching to the experience and the story. And when you do that, you don't, it's more like, uh, you know, instead of I am sad or I am angry, it's I feel this way. That way you're not attaching to it. And when you say your words changing cancer survivor, you say you don't like that word survivor to cancer dancer. I love that because it is playful. It is, has some positivity and it in and of itself has a little element of magical hope mm-hmm. and healing. Yes. So can you talk about, cause I, I love you had said one thing, how um, self-help books don't work 
And we are taught from childhood that someone else knows better than we do. So I'd love to talk about sort of really embodying these things, not just going through the checklist of, okay, somebody tells me to do this, I'm going to do this, but really examining Mm. your own life. Let's take a look at self-help books first. I will give 50 bucks cold cash to anybody who can honestly tell me I've never bought one, never read one. We all have. And I remember the very first book that I bought that was self-help. I was 13 in 1968, and I remember the opening paragraph. It said, Judy has a groovy wardrobe. Her makeup is fab, and her hair is far out. But nobody likes Judy because Judy's fat. Within one paragraph, this impressionable 13-year-old was said, everything you are is crap unless you are skinny. Everything about you is worthless unless you're skinny. And self-help books perpetrate that. Now, we live in a victim culture. Mm. Who gets the big house? The victim. If you're working hard and you're doing all right, but gee, that would be great for your family. You don't qualify. Your story isn't interesting enough. Mm. So we're taught victimhood gets you things. Mm. Okay. Victimhood means you give up your life to whatever else is happening. You surrender. Victimhood, mm-hmm. Right. Then you're not allowed to be who you are. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, there, there's a self-help book that came out recently that said, don't eat food with leptin and get up at four in the morning, every morning, morning, do you yoga. If you're a single mom with two preschool kids and you have a job and you live in Milwaukee, you think you're going to do that? It's nuts. Yeah. So when I wrote my book, clean out your life closet to share everything I've learned, I make a point, take what works and leave the rest of it. At the end of each chapter, are what I call the adventure pages. Mm. And you're not going to find the answer on page 78. It has to come from your life. For instance, on the chapter, When Perfect Destroys Good, what are some of the things I ask you? Where do you beat yourself up most often and why? Oh, Reimagine one. one of those times where the idea that good can triumph over perfect. What does it look like now? Mm. How would your life change if you stopped thinking perfection was the only correct response to a project or a situation? Yeah. And so that gives you your life back. Yeah. So instead of a self-help book, it's a self-reflection book with some guidance. Absolutely. Yeah. I teach a course um, in, in college in a nursing school called Holistic and Complementary Approaches to Health and Healing. Mm-hmm. And this is a big part of what I say, question things. Mm-hmm. And, and we, talk, we just talked about humor and the power of humor to help us through navigate through pain, helps mm-hmm. us connect to people, releases oxytocin. Um, but the self-discovery and the self-reflection continually to mm-hmm. check in with yourself and to heed the whispers before they come become screams. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, we talk about sort of, people were asking me about spirituality. We talk a lot about the mind connection to health and healing. We, we were listening to Bruce Lipton. I showed Bruce Lipton talking Love about- Love him. Spontaneous evolution, Steve Behrman, Swami yeah. Yamananda. I love that. Yeah. And they were amazed at like, wait a minute, you mean our thoughts can actually highlight cancer cells? It's like, yes. 
Absolutely. So there is science behind this and there is science behind humor, behind reframing the way you're looking and perceiving the world. And one of the things that um, Bruce Lipton, Lipton talked about was how you come in and the only way you have bad proteins is from birth, a birth defect, but only 5% of the population has that. So the rest of us come in healthy and well, and it's our thoughts and what we, and our lifestyle and our choices and our not living in alignment with our soul that can actually make us unwell. Yes. Now, admittedly, now what we have done to the environment also affects it. Oh, there yeah. is so much estrogen crap everywhere that yeah. no wonder cancer is coming up to the fore the way it is. Yeah. But um, one of the, the things, especially about the mind, remember how it used to be visualization. A lot of people would say, well, the cancer cells are dragons and your white blood cells are St. George and they're killing the cancer cells. I didn't do that. When I sat and envisioned my cancer cells, all of a sudden I saw they were apple green and fuzzy with big feet and big eyes and antenna and they were crying. And so I just looked at them and said, why are you crying? And they said, nobody loves us because we're different. So my version was gathering all the cancer cells on my lap on a big squishy sofa and loving them until they were pink again. Mm, beautiful. Less violent, less yeah. angry. The understanding cancer cells are your body, but mm. they're different. Yeah. They're responding to something different. So I'm, I'm not someone that says everything is love and light and roses. I mean, my spiritual name is not a little dancing raccoon or anything, but <laughs> Could be. <laughs> well, actually, Mitleid is a chosen last name. It means compassion in German. And it reminds me why I do the work I do. It's great. But the thing that is sometimes a little hard to remember is that you're in a play right now. There is nothing wrong with your soul. It is completely fine, completely healthy. It did not give you this disease because it's you're bad or it wants to hurt you. This is how you learn. Yeah. Some people, we will all get healings, but we may not get a cure. Right. And so don't let anyone say to you or a loved one who's dealing with this, oh, well, if they aren't getting well, they're just not being a high vibe enough. Slap them. <laughs> Because it is what it is, what it is. How we work with it is the lesson. Yes. Some of us can walk off the dance floor and some of us don't. But it makes no difference as to worth or how they did or how God loves them or what their luck was. It's part of your story. Yeah. I always talk about the tools in the toolbox too. And some people mm -hmm. have more tools than others. Some people have the tool to recognize they don't have something and need to seek it or need to go within. But there are mm -hmm. some people that just fear takes over and they, they're afraid of what they're going to see. So yeah. absolutely, everybody comes to the table with a different set of tools, different ability to access them. And I love what you say, because we're all capable. We all have it within us. We just have to have, to have the courage to show up and to look or to ask somebody to help us in our on our path mm -hmm. so 
how, what, what would you say somebody struggling right now, whether they're going through cancer, going through illness, whether they have a loved one going through illness, whether they've lost somebody, whatever it is that is their challenge right now, what are some tips that you can give them on leading that exam in life and moving through well, it? Always remember the three questions. What am I ex about? Why am I ex about that? What would happen if I wasn't? Um, as far as making sure you ask other questions, be the happy Martian detective. If Jen and I were sitting across from each other and she had water coming out of her eyes, I would probably say, why are you crying? But I might be wrong. A Martian who has no concept about humanity, but is really excited about what he gets to do, he would go toddling up to Jen and go, why is there water coming from your eyes? And he <laughs> might get a better answer because maybe she has contact lens problems or allergies, or maybe there's an emotional basis. When we ask questions, we don't have wrong assumptions and we get answers. Questions are not signs of doubt so much as the ability to crystallize what you really know. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that we had talked about too is that you said cancer gave you your biggest um, teaching moment mm -hmm. and looking for the lessons. Did the lessons come right away for you? Or how would you say to somebody, and I, I talk about this all the time, and often what I get is, well, how do I know what the lesson is? So, Well, with me, because I've done so much inner work for so many years, I knew it was about accepting myself with a less than perfect female body. Yeah. It took hindsight, looking back on how I have altered and expanded my teaching mm -hmm. that helps me realize it is not just about my getting comfortable with a less than perfect body, but being able to take this and say, if I did it, you can do it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you can beat cancer. Right but it does mean you can walk through it gracefully. Yes. And, you know, remember sometimes not getting off the dance floor is going to have massive effects for others. Quick story, Ryan White, the kid who got AIDS from a blood transfusion in the late eighties, early nineties, his family was made a pariah in their town. He made friends with Elton John, who at that point was drinking and drugging and driving himself into the ground. Ryan died but was so inspirational in his fight to Elton that Elton played at his funeral, went back home and got off the drugs and booze and has been clean for over 30 years and then started the Elton John AIDS Foundation, which has raised over half a billion dollars for global research on AIDS and HIV. Yeah. Now, does that give some comfort to Ryan's mom? Yeah. Would she rather have Ryan? Of course, that's normal. But realize that sometimes losing, quote unquote, the battle, quote unquote, will actually pay it forward in other yeah. ways. So there's, it wasn't a failure. Right. And there's purpose in everything. I firmly yes. believe that there's purpose yes. to everything. I think mm -hmm. about the um, um, the shooting and blanking on it. Why am I blanking on it in Connecticut where that little boy, Jesse, died? Sandy Hook. Yeah, Sandy Hook. Thank you. And that little boy had written and his mom talks about, you know, his message and how he was there mm -hmm. to save some of the little kids. And 
I, I believe in that, the soul contracts and the, you know, there's mm-hmm. a purpose, there's a reason and all of that. That's what gives me hope. That's what helps me move forward and find that light and allow that light to be my compass in the dark. Yes. How can people connect with you? How can people get your book? Oh, Jen, they can't avoid me. They really can't. <laughs> um, you are my we- <laughs> My website is corbymitlide.com. You can find me under Corby Mitlide at YouTube, Patreon, Medium, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. You can find me on Facebook at Fire Through Spirit. Beautiful. And I will have all your links in the show notes. Um, your book again, your your recent book. I love the title of this book. Can you? This one? Yes. Clean, Clean out, out your life closet. Beautiful. Love it. So if you're looking for some guidance and self-reflection, check out Corby's book. And thank you so much for being a part of the Grounded Awakening, Corby. I wish you well. I wish you health and continued dancing in life thank you and for you listeners i wish you all well and i invite you to join us for the next grounded awakening where we plant our feet firmly on the ground and we reach for the sky be well everyone if you've enjoyed this podcast like subscribe and give it a review at your favorite podcast platform for more info on jen visit jenniferrentolo.com That's Jennifer, W-R-E-N, Tolo, T-O-L-O dot com. Thanks for listening.